It's been sleeting for about 24 hours now here in the suburbs of Nash Vegas, and it's also a holiday, but no one's doing anything today. I have determined I am the only person in the neighborhood who has a job. Why is that? <laughs> Everyone is sledding, riding golf carts and ATVs, pulling kids up and down the street. I'm getting text messages constantly about like, hey, do you have anything we can pull behind the uh, Polaris? Nobody has anything to do. Well... Reed, have you ever thought about like just getting your computer and like doing a Zoom call while you're sliding down the hill on a sled? I have looked out in the street a few times and thought, I don't know if it's super smart to just lay in the middle of the road. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. And welcome back to Touchpoint. Welcome back specifically to episode number 211. Isn't that a band? No, that's 311. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, 311. So we have 100 episodes before we're the band. Yeah, I will bring that back. I'll bring that reference back 100 episodes from now. We'll see if anybody remembers. That is Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith, and we are excited that you have joined us during uh, the snow apocalypse 2021 here in the South. Mm-hmm. I know our friends in Texas have rolling blackouts and all kinds of crazy snow. Well, surprisingly, we have no snow. I mean, outside of the one that fell a couple of weeks ago, that's still here. But we're dealing with sub-zero temperatures still. We're all suffering from this uh, polar vortex, if you will. Isn't that also a band, the polar vortex? I think so. I think they opened for Metallica back in the mid-90s. <laughs> or maybe with Limp Biscuit. Oh, man. <laughs> Pretty completely off track here. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for uh, supporting the show. We certainly appreciate it. If you are interested in what it is that you're actually listening to, because at this point in the episode, you're probably wondering, you can visit us online at touchpoint.health. That's the website that explains it all. It explains a little bit about the episode you're listening to, the show you're listening to, and all the other shows and episodes on the network. You can surf your way over there and maybe find some other cool stuff to check out. We've got some great, great shows that launched uh, new on the network towards the end of last year and some old timers that have been around for a while. We encourage you to go check those folks out. Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you happen to be listening. Take a brief pause here and we'll be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. 
that's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Today, we're going to be talking about engagement marketing, which as we started to do research for this episode, we realized this is yet another one of those buzz terms that has a million different definitions, Reed. Well, considering I didn't know it was a thing until we did this episode, I mean, I know what engagement means. I know what marketing means. I did not know that engagement marketing was actually a term, but apparently it's been Googled 600,000 times. Or no, there's 600,000 results, I should say. I guess a little short than million different definitions, uh, 600,000 different definitions, I suppose. It was kind of a newer term to me when we started to research this. But, you know, sure enough, there's a Wikipedia page about it. According to Wikipedia, engagement marketing, sometimes called experiential marketing or event marketing, on the ground marketing, live marketing, participation marketing, loyal marketing. Special events is marketing. <laughs> Special events. I feel like they just tacked that on. They say is marketing a strategy that directly engages consumers and invites and encourages them to participate in the evolution of a brand or a brand experience. So it must be a special event, right? The way that they're, they're describing it. They go on rather than looking at consumers as passive receivers of messages. Engagement marketers believe that consumers should be actively involved in the production and co-creation of marketing programs, developing a relationship with the brand. That's the goal of any marketing, to drive some sort of action or involvement. But I think it's fair to say that it's probably a little broad of a definition, probably doesn't give us a lot of clarity around what it is that we're actually even referencing. Probably not useful to the people listening in here who, who are expecting a different type of conversation. But true to form, you and I went a little bit further and we researched, uh, I would say, an article that gives a better definition of engagement marketing and one that's a little bit more applicable to the topics that we talk about here. And this was from an article that we found on Marketo's website. So already we know it's going to have sort of a, a take around digital and specifically around marketing automation because it's what Mar- Marketo is known for. Right? Well, and it's titled uh, Defining Engagement Marketing. So that's a good start as well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So they start off by defining it as engagement marketing is the use of strategic, resourceful content to engage people and create meaningful interactions over time. So that aligns with the Wikipedia definition. Using data based on who they are. So here here we are back into the automation CRM kind of personalization space, right? Using data based on who they are and their behavior, marketers can reach people in a personal and meaningful way and add a benefit of moving customers along the sales funnel more quickly by creating programs that are targeted and strategic. So again, that sounds a lot like personalization, drip marketing, campaigns, you know, those types of things, right? That Marketo would obviously know a lot about. They go on to even say that engagement marketing is a cross-channel approach utilizing, here's a couple of tools, right? Email marketing, content marketing, social media marketing, and marketing automation to create sort of an inbound marketing program with solid engagement. As we kind of walk through that definition, Reed, it's starting to make a little bit more sense to me, although it seems a little bit 
narrowed right around potentially marketing automation workflows. But if you take that just a little bit broader, I think it's applicable to a lot of things that we've been talking about here before. And they talk in here about that the pain points, the problems even that it can address, that engagement marketing can address are things like building brand awareness, uh, enhancing existing marketing tactics, creating better brand preference, and then ultimately reaching more buyers, uh, they say. I mean, we don't really think of them as buyers, but anyway, and, and consumers in a more efficient way. Wow, gosh. If it could do all of those things, Reed, it, this sounds like the the silver bullet of marketing. We should have been talking about this from the onset, don't you think? Also known as marketing. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it seems like. I don't know. I think all of marketing could be could be said that we're trying to do those sorts of things. But let's dive a little bit deeper because this article actually does a really good job outlining some of the components uh, of a successful engagement marketing program. They actually list out a couple of them that's kind of interesting. And I love the way they phrase this because they always phrase this as engaging people. So the first one is engaging people as individuals. That is understanding their preferences their history, their relationship with your organization, the stage in their customer journey. A shorthand way of saying, you know, moving from that persona-based marketing to that ever-elusive one-to-one marketing. That incorporates a lot of different tools, including CRM, including being able to use analytics and being able to track success of your marketing activities to inform how you're talking to people. And I think there's a little bit of personalization in there too. Sounds like it. Second thing they point out, uh, again, engaging people based on what they do. So user behavior, they talk about it as, you know, the way people participate or behave, if you will, in one channel, like social media, for example, allows you to inform marketing on other channels, like on your website. Now that's personalization. Sounds like it. Well, yeah, we've had a couple of episodes about that. Here's another engaging people component that they say, engaging people continuously over time, responding at all stages of their customer journey and keeping them engaged and helping them make decisions. So now we're, as we're starting to layer on the different things that it can do, now we're talking about responding at all stages of their journey and giving them some kind of purpose, helping them make some decisions. I mean, because that's ultimately the goal, right? Is to get people to make a decision of some sort. Yeah. The next thing they point out, engaging people towards a goal or outcome. So overlaps a little bit here. Uh, Engagement marketing, they say, isn't about relationship building for relationship's sake. It's about using the relationship to drive towards a goal. So it's about using people. (laughs) (laughs) They did not say that. That was not part of the article. So again, to fill out all the fields in a CRM, for example, is neat and everything, but like to what end? Right. There always has to be an end. And that which kind of leads to the last engaging people component, engaging people everywhere they are at. That is creating consistent experiences across multiple channels, even offline. Okay. Now this is where it kind of veers away from what Marketo does, but it actually talks about this overarching strategy that now is designed to help people do all of these things over multiple different touch points that they have with your brand, including offline touch points. Think about all of those components, Reed. That that sounds like what you're doing is you're building ultimately a customer journey and using tools and technology to kind of guide them through that journey to help them inevitably in healthcare, you know, seek out care from you or whatever your goal may be. 
So they pivot a little bit at this point in the article talking about the ROI of these types of campaigns or these types of programs, I should say. The first point, there's actually three things we'll point out here, but the first being uh, engagement marketing leads to trust. So they talk about the fact that 85% of consumers trust solutions that take the time to walk them through various paths towards a decision rather than just providing an answer outright. That sounds right, you know, because people, you know, it's kind of choose your own adventure allows them to kind of walk their way towards the answer versus just an FAQ, if you will. 85% of consumers trust solutions that do that. Here's another interesting stat. Engagement marketing, another ROI, leads to clicks. Oh, there we go. There's the KPI right there, clicks. But they say here that triggered email messages have a 71% higher open rate and 102% higher click-through rate than non-triggered emails. Of course, Marketo has that number at their ready, and they, put, they posted it here in their article. But the point here is that if done right, right, as you create your engagement marketing program, not only can you build trust, but you can, you can build momentum and movement and call to actions. Finally, they talked a little bit about engagement marketing, you know, how it leads to these measurable results. 87% of marketers report a measurable lift from their personalization efforts. And that makes sense because I, I think as you, as you dig in and as you kind of go down the personalization track, by definition, you have things you can measure at that point. We said ROI at the beginning of this. Nothing we mentioned has anything to do with <laughs> ROI, I'll be honest. So think of this specifically as you know, success metrics, right? I mean, are, are things working? Are we getting people headed in the right direction? This has nothing to do with the financial outcome or downstream revenue or whatever. It may lead to it, certainly. But being able to you know, drive people through a path certainly gives you data points and, and checkpoints. This sounds so great, so ideal. So how do we do it? Are we doing it? Have we been doing it? I, that's These are questions that spring to mind when I get up to this point in the article. Luckily, they lay out five steps that we could take. So let's briefly just go through these five steps, Read The first one is to map and develop buyer personas and journeys. Okay, that makes sense. We've talked about that before. Determine you know, what the information that your current or future buyers need. Define their audiences through their challenges, whatever, and map that out over their journey. Okay, that makes sense. Step two, develop your brand voice, which I could argue might be the first step. I guess personas and journeys could come first, but I think brand voice is awfully important. You may can do one and two kind of in parallel, right? But you want to have that consistent experience across the channel. So whether we're talking about blogs or podcasts or websites or social, you know, kind of the owned or rented land, if you will, you want that consistency. The third is then now that you know the voice, now you know your journey, now you can start to brainstorm and flesh out that content mix. So planning, creating the content across that experience is very important. Obviously, since it's very purposeful in nature, you want to make sure that it serves the objectives of your customer the best way and guides them to make better informed decisions and ensure that you're doing it as appropriate to your organization. I mean, this is where content marketing comes into play. Yeah, certainly. And so once you kind of have what the mix looks like, you know, you flesh that out, if you will, you want a process, you, you want something in place, right? So that's going to look most often like step four here, which is an editorial calendar. Really the way they talk about it, and I think, you know, I, I agree, but it ensures that you're, you're releasing your content at the best possible moments. I would argue that it also creates a level of accountability. So as you're putting that together and scripting that, 
everyone's on the same page and knows what's coming. You know, we're not just always in the defensive mode of what now and you know, that kind of thing. And that leads to the last step, which when I read these five steps, it seems pretty straightforward the way they're saying it. But step five is optimize and scale. They say the best approach to promotion is, is a wide reaching one, but don't start to scale and add new channels into your overall engagement marketing push until you have a good measurement strategy in place. I think that should have came first. I'm wondering why they bring that in at the end, but whatever. So define your goals, how you will measure results, how you will measure success, and then measure early stage metrics and then tie them back to that journey, so to speak, to make sure that what you're doing, your engagement marketing program is meeting the needs of your customers. Sounds kind of ideal, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. Well, let's, let's do this. I think, you know, what does that mean for 2021? Uh, what does engagement look like now after the past, you know, we're coming on a year now of the pandemic, I guess. Let's take a break and come back and we'll, we'll dig into what that means for us now. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Before the break, Reed, we kind of outlined that engagement marketing program. We kind of redefined it, reset our expectations around it. Quite frankly, it didn't sound anything different than what we've been talking about before in terms of marketing. It just probably has a new, different name to it. Let's talk about now engagement trends, because I think this is where we'll start to see a little bit of the difference in what engagement marketing is, as opposed to, let's say, personalization or some of the other terms that we've talked about around marketing, which leads us to our first article. Five customer engagement trends that will continue in 2021 from our friends over at Forbes. As we've kind of rolled into 2021, which we're already like a sixth of the way through or something, I think at this point, (laughs) but it's really amazing how fast some of the stuff moves. And so as we think about what that trend looks like, we think about over the last year and what that's meant for digital. We've talked about it at nauseum on the show, but this article really kind of dives into what's possible, but what would be wise to consider? What is consumption and and what habits look like from consumers and and the evolution of, of what we have historically called customer consumer engagement. That's right. And they even say here that those consumer behaviors that we've been talking about throughout the last year, they're now have been around long enough that they're basically going to be considered permanent. So that leads to this article addressing five consumer trends that emerged last year that the author of this article suggests will stay with us well into 2021 and even beyond. So the first one they talk about, Reed, is something they say is insight-led customer engagement strategies are changing the way marketing campaigns work. Many of the marketing technology platforms that we have now, they can offer campaign management or analytics, but they, they're not offering intelligent insights for consumers and marketers to act on until recently. They actually describe here, the marketer's plan for engagement in the past has been 
plan, execute, analyze, course correct. We actually just described that before the you know the first part of the show. Right. So, but now, thanks to these advancements, the order is flipped. Now it's analyze, plan, execute, measure, and correct. So now analyze comes earlier on in the program development. Interesting, huh? It is. And I think some people have done that to varying degrees, I guess. But I think analytics, I think it, a really important piece in here is the, is the insights portion of it. What do all the numbers mean? And so I think we can get drowned and you know, what's the saying where data rich and insight poor or something like that. That's potentially an issue. So I think as these platforms get smarter and smarter, that will that will certainly make make more and more sense. But I like the idea of starting with uh, analytics, certainly. Second one, uh, AI or artificial intelligence is enabling more human-centric marketing. So now that marketers have, they say, have access to advanced tools that enable them to move at the speed of the customer and deliver relevant, timely content in real time across every channel, it really kind of opens up possibilities. If you can be where the consumer is, if you can skate to where the puck is going, as the saying has always been said, versus where it is now, you know, then that puts you uh, kind of in the driver's seat. They even say here that if used properly, right, it will allow marketers to be more effective, minimize their efforts, and automatically suggest the right tactics. And you know, we, we may have addressed this before and and when we talked about next best actions and things like that. But fascinatingly enough, Microsoft is predicting that by 2025, they predict 95% of customer interactions will be through AI channels. Wow. That's a lot. 95%. That's really close to 100. So the third trend is around digital transformation. They say here that it's now a means of survival. A recent survey by McKinsey revealed that the pandemic has forced many companies to accelerate digital transformation initiatives by several years. It's no longer becoming a competitive advantage. It's becoming par for the course. If you've not made enough progress to your digital channels, you could be missing out on significant revenue opportunities. And this is across all industries, including, they highlight here, healthcare. Everybody right now has things coming to mind, right? Everything's popping in. You know, right now, as you think about brands that have not made enough progress, missing out on revenue opportunities. Yeah, the first thing I thought of was scheduling. The ease of having to get in and, and make an appointment. And then, you know, what are my options for care delivery and you know, those care delivery models and how they've evolved to the virtual space, et cetera. Number four on the list, personalization is a make or break requirement. So are they saying this table stakes? They talk about the fact that it was, you know, obviously nice to have, historically speaking, and people that could do it or do some sense of it, I guess, you know, it was like, wow, that's really cool. But they say the pandemic has escalated the urgency of personalization and marketing. Consumers expect brands to go the extra, extra mile and anticipate their needs based on the last interaction they had with them. And we talk about this in healthcare being that, you know, we're just trying to keep up with everything else in their lives. As they say here, right, it'll become a vital investment as the economy recovers and consumers feel safe to start spending again. If you're not personalizing them to them now, when we start to move into economic recovery here, they're going to say customers are going to be going towards that brand that impersonalizes with them. The Boston Consulting Group pointed out that in this environment, brands that can personalize their approach to where and how they engage with customers and invest in paid media selectively will win a disproportionate share of sales in the rebound. That's kind of mind-boggling if you think about it. 
So one more trend that's I think is important, multi-channel and even omni-channel are even more critical. Omni-channel always to me sounds too hard to grasp. Omni-channel means every channel. But they say here that think of your multi-channel strategy as moment-based. Today's consumers demand a consistent personalized experience across channels with content presented to them in context. And now they're saying that you need to present that across all of the channels in which they talk to you. All of them. That's a lot of channels for most folks. I mean, I used to think that 100 channels on cable was a lot. Yeah, which is why we don't get the omni-channel anymore. <laughs> exactly. We cut the cord. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it makes sense, right? Understanding the channels and understanding how to engage with them. It keeps coming back to this, Reed. It seems like we keep circling back to this kind of topic over and over again. You know, these are just five trends. I don't know that these are really quite any different than you know what we've historically been striving for. I think it's just we're starting to highlight and realize that the world is changing quite a bit and a little faster than we thought, right? With the care delivery models, with uh, employment models, and now with marketing and how people are expected to be engaged with. It's an interesting time and it's a, it's a time that uh, has a heightened level of responsibility now for those of us in marketing that maybe we haven't historically had. I think you're right. And what's interesting is, is that just recently I had a chance to sit down with Stephen Magling, who's with Haley Sue, and they recently released a report called Engage 2021 Trends Report, which basically outlines how engagement is the new form of marketing and what they are seeing in hospitals and health systems around the country. It was an interesting conversation that we had. And after the break, we'll listen to the interview and then we'll be back at the end of the show to kind of wrap things up. Welcome back to the Ask the Experts segment of the podcast. And today I am delighted to have an old friend, colleague, and uh, a, a person who's familiar, who's been on the show before, and that's Stephen Magling. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me again, Chris. I'm really excited for you to be here. Would you mind if we just start off by allowing you to share a little bit about your background and what you're doing today? Sure, Chris. I've been involved with within healthcare marketing now for probably over two decades. And that's where I think I first met you at one of the national conferences. And my role has always been to help a hospital or health system with, with growth, growth opportunities through brand, through marketing, and of course, as of more recently, through digital efforts. Yeah, and, and, and tell a little bit about where you work now and the company you're with. Sure. Haley Sue. And it's a wonderful healthcare firm I've been with, I've had the privilege of working with for over three years. Three years now. And prior to that, had been in, at another healthcare firm where I was part owner. And when I made the transition to Haley Soups, because I knew that healthcare needed some different kind of thinking, different kind of energy to tackle different kinds of challenges. Little did I know three years ago, some of those challenges would be working through pandemics 
I don't think anyone was prepared for uh, last year in this space. Uh, there was that ominous threat of a pandemic in the, in, you know, that we heard about for years and, you know, we've seen in movies, but I think last year was uh, a year that truly was unprecedented, although Reed and I don't like to use that term that mm-hmm. often. And it caused a lot of changes to the way healthcare marketing and, and the way we do our work and when we work with organizations. And so you sent to me a new report that actually Haley Sue published that talks about some of those new trends. Give us a little bit of background, what caused you to do this and, and you know, kind of the structure, how many people you talk to, et cetera. So I think traditionally in marketing, marketers and communicators love trends, right? We love to know what's cutting edge. What do we need to pay attention to? How do we get ahead of that quote unquote curve? But coming into 2021, my colleagues and I at Haley C said, well, let's do a trends report. And then we started laughing because it's like, why on earth would we dare to attempt to document what we think is going to happen after a year in which it was, as you and Reed said, unprecedented. Uh, but there were there were clues, very, very obvious clues in terms of what to anticipate from a communication standpoint within our healthcare community. And that was really where the key word of engagement came came through. Our firm has had a history of conducting consumer insights research. And beginning in March of last year, we began uh, a multi-pronged effort to understand the sentiment and concerns and desires of that healthcare consumer. We began in March, and then we followed up that same survey um, over several months, uh, with the last research being in December of last year, 2020. In looking at trends in, in, of consumer sentiment, what we kept finding was that healthcare consumers wanted their providers and health systems to engage with them like never before, which I think, Chris, you and I have laughed about. And I think anybody listening to this who's been involved in healthcare for any period of time, it's like the joke has always been healthcare brands have always wanted to engage those consumers. And it's the, unfortunately, those consumers haven't always wanted to engage the healthcare brands. Not to the standpoint com- considered uh, compared to probably other categories of, of products and services that are a little bit more fun to engage with from a social media perspective. They want to know what's going on with COVID. They want to know what's going on with va- the vaccines. They want to know what's going on with safety protocols. They want to know about their own health, their own risk profile. And increasingly, they want to know more about what health brands are doing in terms of social determinants of health, of of disparities of health. Uh, And the list keeps growing. And I think that's a really good thing for us in the communication space. Yeah, it's almost like that that term uh, engagement, that ever-present ability for us to engage with our patients and our communities is becoming much more the focus of what we need to do as healthcare organizations. Yet when when we say that, Stephen, it that that could be a nebulous term or it could be so broad. First thing I would say, Chris, is that uh, our mantra around Haley Sue with regard to the report is that engagement is the new branding. And the reason why we made made that case in the report is because traditionally health systems have thought about branding, for better or worse, as a thing you do, not who you are as an organization and the value proposition and the everyday 
experiences that a consumer would have, whether it be through a patient experience directly or through experience of content and marketing. But what we kept seeing in our healthcare community was that the hospitals and health systems are spending as much time as they can talking about these hot button engagement topics like the vaccines, like COVID case rates, like safety protocols, et cetera. So we understood that the, what we call the brand loyalty battleground is really going to be focused on how you engage on these topics as opposed to what we might call kind of a traditional branding effort. You know, here is our branding campaign. Here are the proof points, so to speak. Uh, there's going to be a time and place for that, but that's probably not the right time, nor is it the right place when we have so many important and meaningful messages to get out there. And so that idea of engagement as a new branding really became kind of like the, the global trend for us uh, in, in documenting the report. And the subtrends are what fall out underneath, and that provides hopefully more specificity and more action points for the audience. As we talk about engagement is the new branding, that, that concept, I think that's a very important one for us to kind of bring forward, right? As something to, th- to think about, because, you know, this is no longer about capturing the most eyeballs on your TV commercial. What we're talking now about is because of the forefront that healthcare organizations have been in over the last year, we have started to build a whole level of engagement with our communities that is, I'm going to use this term again, unprecedented, right? It allows us to now build much more meaningful relationships. And I love that as like sort of a, sort of a unique value proposition that we as healthcare brands can now bring to our communities because they trust us still. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we can go into the more communication focused insights that hopefully will help the audience listening. But I do want to kind of kind of take a step back and just say there's a fiscal responsibility inherent in the idea of engagement. In that, in our national studies, about 30 plus percent of all patients in any market at any time are thinking about switching their providers. So we've seen that over at least a three-year period. It's a pretty pretty stable number. It's a very high number. So about 30%, that's a lot. About 50% of consumers here and now feel disengaged from those providers. They haven't felt like they've been hearing enough from on COVID, et cetera. So suddenly you take that 30%, number of people who are thinking about switching, and that number has kind of jumped up to about 45, 46% of consumers in all markets at any given time. And suddenly there's this financial cliff that we're concerned about providers kind of falling off if they don't engage those consumers now with what they need to hear from those brands in order to stay loyal and to stay within that health system or that provider family. Mm-hmm. So I just I thought that was important for us to to address that reality. So as we you know in the hallowed halls of healthcare, as we kind of also face all of these other 
demands on our organization and our our industry that it's good to underscore that that engagement will help with um, supporting all of these efforts moving forward. There were four subtrends that this study kind of surfaced through the work that you've done. The first was something you say is how to engage through personalized messaging. Tell us a little bit more about that. Personalized messaging. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir, Chris, um, <laughs> but and I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir in terms of uh, everybody listening to this. But what we saw so radically clear in this past year with the pandemic is that there is no one universal audience who thinks the same, feels the same, cares the same, and believes the same about almost anything these days. What we're advocating as a trend line is to really have a lot deeper level of clarity among the different audiences that a health system truly serves, which we could break down as personas or any number of ways, right? But from there, how do you serve up relevant messages that are personalized enough for these different audience personas So we take something as simple as the vaccine, uh, a global topic that all health systems are communicating. Well, when we look at the different audience segments, different segments of that total audience population have different feelings and attitudes and belief states around vaccines. Um, We look at the African-American community that has had a history of challenges within vaccines, right? Communicating to people of color may need to be highly personalized compared to another demographic that doesn't have that personal history, negative history. And so what we're encouraging here is really to to take your core message platform, whatever that is, and find ways to personalize those messages based on those unique audience profiles in your community because that's really the only way that you can get that shared understanding and positive action steps as a result. Yeah, and and by doing that, it actually strengthens the messaging that you have, right? I think that in general, as people that you know live in our communities, we've already been starting to sour around these broadcast messaging. I think there's appropriate applications of one-to-many kind of communications as broadcast approach, but uh, through the pandemic. I've also felt this, you know, myself personally, the sort of that detachment between me and the health system occurring because my my own personal care provider or the the health system didn't reach out to me on a personalized level trying to understand where I'm at, but if you could start to get into your personas, that becomes really fascinating. Now that's a heavier hurdle for organizations that are traditionally not there. Is is that fair to say? It is fair to say. And I, I, and I think everything that we're recommending in this trends report um, is with respect to how an individual organization or marketer communicator can leverage what he or she can with the resources available. You know, so there's that, there, there's that idealized state of, of what best practice looks like. And then that's why in each of these examples in our report that we had this concept of what's, okay, what does this mean in action for you? And we wanted to kind of follow up with, here are five or six different ways that you can leverage this based on what's available to you. 
And and weaving that fine line between developing personas and being able to talk in a personalized way, but also uh, realizing that many organizations can't be that personalized. It can't be like a one-to-one communication, but I think that's a really important thing. And as you mentioned too, it relates heavily to the second subtrend, um, which is engaging through enhanced digital dialogue. Much like a lot of what you and Reed have been talking about on this podcast for years now, uh, Haley Sue has always been an advocate for how do we not just push out a message, but we pull people into the dialogue, into the conversation. And so when we look at what we're calling these hot button engagement topics, like COVID, like the vaccines, like safety protocols, these are in our opinion, very, very complex and often very nuanced. And we're also addressing what I think is unfortunately universal to everybody right now, which is a level of fear. And when we're communicating to people who are living in a chronic state of fear, as most all of us have for the better part of a year, well, suddenly the communication opportunity is even more challenging because you've got to address the amygdala. You've got to address that fear-based response. So when we talk about enhancing engagement through digital dialogue, what we're saying is how can you create more of that two-way conversation? How can you, for example, we've seen our clients and we've seen wonderful colleagues around the country really embrace Zoom webinars where they have providers up for 30 minutes talking about the hot button topics and allowing for a moderated back and forth on here's what we're what we're seeing about COVID in the community. Here's what those numbers mean. Here's what case rates mean. And then getting that Q&A, that back and forth. I think that's a really great best practice and we're happy and glad to see so many brands doing this. But it, you could even take it to a subtler level and just leveraging the power of digital video to then invite a conversation and provide that two-way back and forth, whether it be in the comments, whether that be through a chat feature, whether that be through any, any type of way where we can start to understand, okay, here's the message that we're sharing out. Now, what do you think? Is it resonating with you? Are we having to overcome perhaps some misinformation, which is, I know, something that you've talked a lot about in the podcast. So any way you can create digital dialogue right here, right now, is a wonderful pathway for engagement and a wonderful pathway for your organization to achieve its hopefully long-term strategic goals of keeping people feeling well and healthy. One point you stress in here too is one that I've found to be a, a sort of a long-term digital tactic that many organizations have been using, but I've seen many health systems over the last year really, really double down on, which is developing an email communication with your audience. And email extending into marketing automation allows you to build much more of that personalized communication um, because you can then use you know how they're reacting to content as sort of voice of customer back, right? To, to let them know what topics they might be interested in. I've even seen some health systems use email as a way to poll their audience and say, what kinds of information can we create to help you better understand our role in addressing this pandemic? And I think that that becomes a powerful tool. You know, the good old email tool is still there, right? Perfectly said, Chris, because the way you frame this idea of viewing engagement through email. What 
are the customers clicking on? Just that alone is a dialogue. Just that is the back and forth. Okay, these are the articles, these are the topics that people are engaging in. And then adding that survey in or adding a landing page in where we can start to learn more about what is keeping our audience up at night is, a, is an incredible example of digital dialogue. Let's pivot into the third finding here, which is one that I found to be really intriguing. You refer to it as engaging through your mission. Yes. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So our, our belief set here is that health systems that thrive and flourish in 2021 will leverage what we call mission mindsets which is really doubling down on why your organizations exist in the first place. And actually, Chris, the trend really came out of some of our campfire webinars that we do, which we've been grateful that you've been a wonderful uh, past guest panelist for. And we've had incredible providers come on who have talked about some of the work that they've done out in the community to um, to help people at risk for COVID. And a lot of the through line of what we kept hearing from providers was, this is something, quote unquote, that we've never done before, you know, a tactic for out community outreach, but we did it because it was the right thing to do. To us, that was a mission mindset. And so what we're saying is you have highly skeptical consumers. All the data tells us that we're in a polarized community right now distrustful of multiple brands and news sources and all that stuff. And people are living in this kind of chronic state of fear. So how do you connect with that skeptical audience? Well, you connect with them about the eternal virtues and values and the mission of your organization. These things that we hold to be true that we almost all of us can be united on. And the second piece of that mission mindset and engaging audiences with mission is looking at our internal audiences, the burned out, tired providers and frontline workers and everybody who's been helping to support the healthcare system for the past 12 months now. And how do we go back to taking care of them? And I know as communicators, there's only so much that we can do. A lot more that we would like to do for our providers and our frontline workers. But even being able to kind of ring the bell of the mission in the way that we saw in the early days of the pandemic with the, the Healthcare Heroes campaigns that not only made communities feel great and proud of the nurses and doctors and everybody who supports the hospitals and health systems, but we know that it did help uplift those individuals. And we're, we're saying, let's do it again. Let's, let's take it to the next level here because we've, we're in a marathon here. We're not out of this race yet. So how, how can we lift up our, our incredible individuals? And we think leveraging that mission mindset is a key to that. What's interesting about that, it sounds like it's additional work. Developing this mission mindset sounds like, you know, it's like, oh, yet another thing that we have to think about. But I love to frame that back to the way you originally kind of this part of the discussion, which is, you know, this is the right thing to do. 
And many of us, while, you know, while we're working in health systems, we are burned out. We've been working very hard this last year. It's been very tough. By orientating yourself back on it's the right thing to do, I think that appeals to, you know, our mission. And it actually can make, even though there may be more activity that we need to do to support this, it will actually make that work much more meaningful. Absolutely. You know, um, Marsha Highstead, the partner and chief creative officer at Haley Sue, when we were doing a webinar on this topic, you know, she, she told the story about how quite often when we would go in to do service line planning or branding work for clients in what Chris, you've called the before times before COVID, we, we would often be met with un- understandably very tired uh, nurses, for example, just okay, who, who are these consultants? What, what are we doing here? Right? And one of the things that Marcia would do as part of the discussion was say, can, can we just start by having you all share, why did you get into healthcare in the first place? And it's like this magic question for a healthcare worker, because it just strips away the grime in the grist of the day and and people can kind of go back in time to their mission. Well, I wanted to help people. Well, a doctor saved my mom's life and I decided I was going to commit to that myself. And I, I think it's the right thing to do. I also think we all need to lift each other up. And that mission mindset, I think is, I know it sounds sweet, you know, and nice and warm and fuzzy. But ultimately, I think it's that kind of energy that's going to help propel and sustain us as we move forward. I want to make sure that we address the fourth subtrend that you're seeing, which is one that resonates with me when I read it. It just jumped right off the page as a an obvious one. But yet, I think it's important to reinforce, which is using uh, engagement so that your organization becomes a trusted health news source. I think we've all felt that over the last year, there is a need for trusted news around this pandemic. Yeah. Every time we we did our national surveys throughout the course of 2020, so we did them multiple times throughout the year, starting in March, what we found over and over again was that the number one most trusted source of health information is the patient's physician, period. At the same time... That never waned, even though as we kept continuing to do our tracking studies, people's level of trust with major news networks and other major kind of trusted sources of health information began to wane. And you could argue politics and whatever. Nonetheless, it's just what the numbers are telling us. And so the advisement that we had with our clients early on and what we're bringing out here in the report is, your consumers, your patient audiences still can look to you, health organization, as that trusted resource. And if you think about what people want right now, which is quality, credible health information, then just be that trusted health news source. Double down into that. And going back to something you said a moment ago, Chris, about it's like all these different things that we are having to do Part of the idea of engaging as a trusted health news source is just to say, if this is the moment we're in and it's all hands on deck and we can't do it all, but we've got to do something brilliantly for our organizations and for our people and for our patients, then let's realize that this is actually a strategic 
self-directive. We can own this in the marketplace and people want this from us. And we think that the, 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 if we had to do a brand perception study around different hospitals and different markets, what we would invite those hospitals to do is say, where are you on the health news trusted resource matrix? Because if you're in that high trust category, you're also going to probably see a high loyalty among your consumer audiences. When you look at this entire report that you uh, that, that Haley Sue put out, it really is fascinating because again, you know that term engage or engagement seems a little nebulous. Yet it sort of lines out in a very intuitive sense as you as you read through this study, lays out a really good roadmap for hospitals and health systems to maybe reinforce some of the things they're doing right and also allow them to course correct some of the things that they could be doing even better. To me, that's the definition of a great trends report. You know, and, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, so good. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> this report is available for people that are listening in to, to read, and we encourage them to do that. Why don't we, uh, Stephen, uh, why don't you share a little bit about how people can not only uh, find this report. The best way to get the uh, Engage Trends report is to go to our website, which is Haley Sue. Dot com and it's S-A-U-L-T dot com. And right from the homepage, you'll, you'll see a link to download. It's free. We're not going to hound you. Just, just want to know where to send it. Promise. And same with me. Uh, much like Haley Sue is uh, a, a name that doesn't spell the way it sounds. My last name is pronounced Megling, but it's spelled like Mogling. It's M-O-E-G-L-I-N-G. And you can just... Google my name and you'll find me at Haley Sue or LinkedIn and look forward to connecting. Well, absolutely. We'll put links to all of that in the show notes. Again, strongly urge people to download this report and learn a little bit more and also connect with you, Stephen. Thank you again for your time today. This has been really a great conversation. Appreciate it. Thank you again, Chris. It's wonderful. Special thanks to Stephen for coming on the show. Always great. He's been on a time or two before, right? Yeah, this is his third time. Great friend of the show, good friend of the industry, and I appreciate his insight and coming on. If you have not already, sign up for the TPS report over at touchpoint.health. It's a weekly email that comes out. It's got five articles uh, from around the industry, kind of keep you up to date. Quick read on Monday mornings. Also in there, another reason you should sign up, links to all uh, upcoming conferences and educational um, offerings for the year. So we just uh, just updated that. So we've got things in there about the ShishMed Mayo Clinic virtual conference that uh, is coming up first part of the summer and the ShishMed conference, both in person and virtual, that's in September and October, respectively. And then October, November, we've got the Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Summit, followed by the Healthcare Internet Conference. So everything's kind of shifted to the fall a little bit. The in-person stuff has at least in uh, anticipation of being able to do those in person. Check that out. Sign up. Register. I think there's still some call for speakers uh, open for those. And so be sure to uh, get your topics in. All right. Do some recommendations. What you got? Reed, I think I am going to recommend a television program this week, and it's something that I found on Netflix. We're watching a lot of Netflix lately. I guess, you know, that even though they keep raising the price, keep watching the show. Anyway, it's a really kind of fun, lighthearted show. It's called Blown Away. Have you heard about this? No. 
It is a reality competition show about glass blowers. Oh, neat. I like that. I always wanted to try that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know a thing about glass blowing, but you know, there's two seasons on Netflix. It was filmed in Canada. Really interesting. Uh, 10 people get together at the beginning of the show. And then there's sort of like every week someone's declared, they blow away the judges and they win. And then one person gets eliminated and they're doing some fantastic things. And I'm telling you glass blowing. It's so fascinating. They have these huge ovens. I mean, it's just insane. And they're blowing different things and sculpting and it just is amazing. And they're doing all these different styles. You know, it's just one of these shows that's really light, easy to watch, and just absolutely riveting. And the, the shows are only like, you know, 25 minutes long. So you can get through a whole bunch of them at a time. So the show is called Blown Away. I strongly recommend it if you're looking for a little something just lighthearted to watch. Awesome. I like it. I'm have to check that out. I am going to recommend a Netflix uh, show or docu-series, documentary, docu-series, true crime, whatever you want to call it. It's called uh, Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. There's a girl, she goes missing. There's uh, just a few minutes of footage on a camera that's in one of the elevators, and it's really bizarre and freaky, the footage is. And uh, so there becomes this manhunt for like what happened to this particular young lady and so it's it's short I, I say it's short it's four four episodes they're each just under an hour or so so i mean it it's four hours long i guess but uh only four and it's not like a whole bunch of seasons or something like that if you like the true crime stuff you like documentaries or docuseries be sure to check it out the last docuseries you recommended read was pretty pretty hard to watch but i'm i have that one on my queue too and i'm just saying if for those of you kind of listening in if you're going to watch the series between read and myself and it gets a little tough just watch one episode of read the one you recommended and then one watch watch an episode of blown away and you should be great there you go there, <laughs> there you go. go that's a great idea that is a great idea and if you looked at my netflix viewing history i'd probably get arrested <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, very good. Another great episode. Thanks again to Stephen for coming on the show. Certainly appreciate him. And uh, another great topic. You know, things are starting to come together as far as uh, what the consumer wants from us as healthcare providers. And so it's uh, it's interesting to continue to dig into these topics. We thank you so much for your support, for your uh, willingness to uh, listen each and every week because you do, we continue to record and uh, look forward to doing this many, many more weeks. Touchpoint.health is the website. Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you have to be listening or streaming. And uh, let us hear from you on social. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith. We'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.